We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is episode number 1063 with Dr. Roger Schwelt. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Author Steve Maravoli said, incredible change happens in your life when you decide to take control of what you do have power over instead of craving control over what you don't. And physicist Marie Curie said, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. I am very excited about our guest. His name is Dr. Roger Schwelt, and Roger is quadruple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary disease, critical care medicine, and sleep medicine through the American Board of Internal Medicine. He's the co-founder of MedCram, a medical education company where his mission is to demystify medical concepts for people around the world. And this episode was so powerful, it was constantly blowing my mind that I had to split it in two parts. So make sure you watch out for the next episode right after this one coming soon. In this first episode, we discuss and dive so deep into the science around the importance of vitamin D and how it can actually treat COVID-19 and other diseases, the natural remedies for boosting your immune system based on science, What's the first thing we should do when we start to feel sick and it's different than what a lot of people tell you? What the research shows and proves about contrast showers being good for us, the difference between COVID-19 cases at home versus COVID-19 cases at the hospital, and if it's worth taking supplements or not for our health. And this is a game changer. I think you're going to be blown away by everything Dr. Schweltz sharing. So make sure to share this with a friend if it inspires you. Just copy and paste the link, lewishouse.com slash 1063. Text it to someone, post it on social media, and make sure to share it out anywhere you think people will be inspired by it. And before we get into this, I wanted to let you know that we just launched our Greatness Coaching Program. And it can be your high-performance system for 2021 and beyond. It includes coaching, accountability, community, and my new greatness playbook where you will reflect, plan, and create powerful vision for your life. I'm a big believer in having the right tools, the right training, the right strategy, and the right coaching to support you in your goals. If this feels like it's something you'd be interested in and a great fit for, then make sure to go to lewishouse.com slash mycoach to apply today. Again, at any moment, make sure to share this episode with a friend when something inspires you and triggers you to look deeper into the science. And let me know what you're thinking along the way as well. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Dr. Roger Schwelt. 
Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness. I am, am very excited about our guest. Dr. Schwelt is here to educate us on COVID, on vitamin D, and how to prevent these things and optimize our health and a lot of other topics. He is quadruple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary disease, critical care medicine, and sleep medicine through the American Board of Internal Medicine. Dr. Welcome to the show. Very excited that you're here. You're a massive overachiever and you do tons of research and data on many different topics, but uh, one of them that's important for a lot of us today is understanding COVID. And you've been talking more about the impacts of vitamin D and how it can help prevent COVID-19 and potentially treat COVID-19. Is that what I've been learning more from your content? So are you able to share uh, a little bit about the backstory of this discovery you've been finding and the research you've been finding and uh, some ways we can apply this to our own life. Yeah, thanks, Lewis, for having having me on. I'm not really an overachiever. It's just it took a lot of milestones to get to do what I do today, which is pulmonary and critical care. So I take care of patients in the hospital, in the ICU. Many of them recently obviously have COVID-19. Um, obviously, it didn't used to be that way. I would just take care of regular people in the ICU, uh, and now we've just been totally flooded with with this here in Southern California. And you know, just as a as a as a clinician, as a physician, I've had to look into and to try to keep up with all of the science that's coming down from from COVID nineteen. I mean, a year ago, we knew nothing about this disease, and science focused on this like a laser. And things started to come out. And what we were kind of forced to do was to look and see if we had current treatments available that might work for it. And that's how we have come to this to this position. But the, the vitamin D, uh, interestingly, uh, Lewis, it's, it's kind of funny and ironic. Uh, back in college, when I was an undergrad, uh, one of the things that I did as I worked in an organic chemistry research lab, I was a chemistry major. Uh, so yeah, total nerd uh, <laughs> type of thing here. <laughs> But one of my jobs as an undergraduate uh, researcher in the lab was to make vitamin D products for the graduate students to do their research on. I worked with uh, uh, Dr. Okamura, who was a biochemist, but he worked with, uh, he was a chemist, but there was a number of of, uh, biochemists, this was at UCR, that were looking at vitamin D and its ability to bind to its receptor Mm. and and make all of these things. So let's talk a little bit about vitamin D since we started with that. If you just go to Google and just Google vitamin D and the structure of vitamin D, uh, one of the things that you'd be struck with is it's a bunch of rings and circles for those of you who don't know chemistry. But then, but then do the same thing for testosterone or estrogen or cortisol or aldosterone. These are essential uh, steroids that the body needs to live. If, if you lose these steroid hormones, you'll, you'll die in, in a matter of weeks to months. Mm. And if you look at vitamin D, it's, it's unique that to any other vitamin, vitamin B, vitamin B3, B6, uh, B12, C, none of those look like this. Vitamin D is a steroid hormone. And what that means, what we know that that means, is that vitamin D binds to its receptor and goes into the nucleus of cells. And it affects how that cell transcribes its DNA, how it makes proteins. And so that's the first thing that you ought to realize, that vitamin D is not just some cofactor that binds to something and, and allows something to happen. It actually changes the behavior of your cells. So without, so what does that mean? So with vitamin D, it changes the behavior of your cells, enhancing the behavior of your cells, making it healthier, stronger, 
uh, you know, indestructible in a sense. And it depends. With- yeah, it depends on the cell function. So sometimes the vitamin D will uh, inhibit transcription of proteins. Sometimes it will enhance the transcription of proteins. And depending on what you want or what you need, that could have different effects. Vitamin D, it, uh, in general, is it good for people? Or am I hearing you say that sometimes vitamin D may not be good in certain cases? No, it, it's 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 good to have it when you have it. And, and in other words, sometimes you don't want to be transcribing proteins. For instance, gotcha. if you're in a cytokine storm and... Uh, what is a cytokine storm that causes pneumonia and COVID-19? It's where you have too much cytokines. Cytokines are proteins. And where are those proteins coming from? They're coming from cells that are producing them. And so vitamin D modulates this. It's, it's, the, it's the, the person with the lever that's saying, this is what we need at this moment. This is not what we need at this moment. Wow. Okay. So what else have you been finding in the research on uh, vitamin D on how it actually can prevent uh, covid yeah, so vitamin D is kind of like the the cry wolf, the boy that cries wolf, because for years, <laughs> medicine has been looking at vitamin D and saying, oh man, it's good for rickets, but it's probably good for a whole bunch of other things. And they've done studies on it, and sometimes it comes up blank, sometimes it comes up. So it's kind of like, yeah, when a lot of scientists heard that vitamin D might be beneficial in COVID-19, they said, yeah, fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, type of thing. So that's why there's been a lot of resistance mm. to saying that vitamin D is, is, is working. But if you go back to a study called, called a meta-analysis, this is where they take tons of studies and they pool it together so that the, the, the robustness of the data is huge and they can find things better. Uh, there was a study, a landmark study that was published in the British Medical Journal just a few years ago by, uh, by a scientist named Martineau who did a meta-analysis looking at vitamin D supplementation. And he found pretty significantly that vitamin D supplementation on a regular basis, taking it either daily or weekly, decreased the incidence of acute chest infections. And this has been borne out multiple times. Um, there's a, a an Irish study uh, that looked at this called TILDA, and, and they reported it recently as well. This is for acute chest infections. So generally viruses, viruses that affect the chest. So influenza, rhinovirus, probably coronaviruses in there too. All of this done before COVID-19. So we knew from a medical standpoint that vitamin D supplementation, especially in, in patients, you know, this was done in Northern Europe where vitamin D deficiency is quite, uh, you know, plentiful. Uh, so to see that that worked there, now let's take it and apply it to COVID-19 to see if it also works in COVID-19. Of course, the studies take a long time to do, and right. we didn't have those studies early on. So that's where things started. And what what have the studies shown you? Uh, or are you doing some of these studies yourself in your labs, or are you seeing research that's being done and applying the science? No, so I'm not actually doing the research, but I'm. But uh, you almost need somebody to, to do this type of work where you basically look across the spectrum, mm-hmm. see the data that's coming out and put it together and make sense of it. Yeah, so what have you seen with this? Yeah, so, okay, so you've got to remember before we get started in the research is that there are certain types of research that tell you certain things. There are mm-hmm. large observational studies where you just kind of look and see what's going on and you'll see things that are associated with each other. It doesn't tell you that one is necessarily causing the other. You just see them showing up together. And that, that sort of gives you a hypothesis, like maybe these are connected. For instance, if you, 
if, if you saw that a lot of people with lung cancer also carried cigarette lighters in their pocket, right? You couldn't say that the cigarette lighter is causing the cancer, but they're showing up together. So maybe there's either something else that they're both causing or caused by each other. So that's what we started seeing in the, in the first part of 2020 is observational studies. What did we see? We saw that people who were showing up to the hospital with COVID-19 were deficient in vitamin D, that people who did worse in COVID-19 were deficient in vitamin D. We started seeing that people who are older, people who have darker skin, are the people that also are deficient in vitamin D, and they also have worse COVID. And so we started to see this, this connection, but, but the words that go through any, any graduate of medical school or any uh, biostatistician will tell you that, ca- that association does not necessarily mean causation. Mm. And so that's where we were for the most of 2020 until just the last few months was these studies over and over again. Yes, we can predict how well they're going to do based on their vitamin D levels. Yes, if they're lower, they're probably going to have a worse course. But the part that that we couldn't say based on that data was if we give vitamin D, is that going to change something? Because right. maybe the disease is making the vitamin D go down and make them sick. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, if I take a cigarette lighter out of someone's pocket, is it going to make their lung cancer go <laughs> no. away or prevent? Right. So that's the kind of thing. So now enter randomized controlled trials. And this is what we do. We say, okay, we're going to start off. We're going to randomize people. We're going to blind ourselves to it, blind them to it. For one, we're going to give vitamin D. For the other, we're not. And then we're going to see what happens. Yeah. And so how many of these trials have been going on? And what are the findings from these, uh, these blind tests? So there's a lot of trials going on right now looking at this. There's one where they're actually going to look at about 5,000 people. It's being conducted in Great Britain. And we don't have that data yet. The data that we do have are on a few. Let's talk about those. So there's one called the SHADE study. This was done in India on just about 100 or so people where they gave mega doses of vitamin D in people coming into the hospital with COVID-19. 60,000 units they gave. Is this is it injected? Is this orally? Is this... This is, this is oral, uh, oral medication. So 60,000, I mean, generally speaking, when you buy over-the-counter tablets... It takes 5,000, 500, right? You're like... It, Exactly, exactly. So this is 60,000 units daily for seven days. <laughs> That's a lot of vitamin D. It is a lot of vitamin D. So for, for seven days, they, they did this. And uh, what they found was that the inflammatory markers in those patients were lower. And they found that as opposed to uh, only 20% of the patients clearing the virus after uh, three weeks, 60% of the patients cleared the virus in, in three weeks. So it you know, it wasn't powered to look at survival and these sorts of things. Uh, they didn't notice any difference there in terms of that. But that was a study that was done. There was another study that was done in Brazil where they gave, you know, 250,000 units times one. They just gave them a whopping, I mean, just a, it was like, just a, yeah. <laughs> you're drinking vitamin D in supplement form. Exactly. Uh, it was it was incredible. Uh they didn't not they didn't see any difference there although they did measure that vitamin D levels went up inside so it worked uh, they did not notice any improvement the the problem there though of course is uh, there was some problem with the randomization in that study where the, the intervention group the vitamin D group had actually had uh, sicker patients more diabetes um, mm. and so it wasn't clear whether or not that was just a bad randomization or whether there was no effect the one that has the most promise and this is this is the thing you got to understand about vitamin D is vitamin D, 
let's so let's back up a little bit and talk about vitamin D. So people say, well, should I take vitamin D3, D2? What is vitamin D? So this is how it works. You have cholesterol in your body and it, it's it's hanging around. And when ultraviolet B radiation comes from the sun, it comes through the epidermis, which is the top layer of your skin. And then it penetrates down into the dermis and it uh, comes with just enough energy to do a conformational change on one of the uh, carbon uh, bonds, which flips it to be um, to be kind of nerdy here, but it, it actually converts the ultraviolet radiation converts the cholesterol structure into vitamin D. When you get sunlight, is there a certain amount of sunlight on a daily basis we should be consuming? on the skin? So you typically want to, there's people that have gone into the details of this and I can never remember, but you need about, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes of sunlight a day. And since we're on the topic, there's different types of ultraviolet light. There's UVA, UVB, and UVC. So let's dispense with UVC because it doesn't have much to do with the conversation, although there is some data that UVC can kill coronavirus, but that's another topic. UVA can penetrate pretty far. And unfortunately, UVA has no role in the production of vitamin D. Uh, what is it, UVA? It's not useful. UVA is ultraviolet radiation that, that causes skin aging. It can cause cancers on your skin, uh, melanoma. So it's not something that you really want to have. And, it can, and sometimes it can actually even penetrate through glass. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, UVB does not penetrate glass. So sitting in front of a window with the sun coming in is not going to help you in terms of vitamin D. You really? actually have to be, yeah, you actually you have, have to be, to be in the with sun. no blockage, nothing in between. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, that's UVA. Uh, so UVA will not penetrate glass. Uh, sorry, will penetrate glass. UVB will not penetrate glass. And it's the UVB that we need. So, okay. so uh, how do you get you UVB? Behind, that's just sitting out in the sun. You got to go in the sun. And and what about people who say, you know what? I don't want to look older with my skin. I don't want to get skin disease or cancer. So I'm going to lather up with all this uh, sunscreen to protect my skin. Should we use sunscreen or is it more, you know, be in the sun for 15 minutes, then put sunscreen on? Yeah, so that's exactly right. B is not going to penetrate sunscreen very well either. So it's it's really, it boils down to this risk-benefit. You know, so you've got to look. Do and, I want to look good is, and, and not have wrinkles or do yeah. I want to be healthy? So so there are some there are some solutions to this. Right. So uh, fish oil is rich in vitamin D. There are certain uh, uh, like mushrooms that are rich in vitamin mm. D. And of course, we, look, we live in 2021. Right. We've got supplementation. So you can yeah. take that and not get the risk there. So that's that's a good benefit. So is uh, supplementation if I'm taking vitamin D vitamins? Uh, 500 to 5,000, whatever, uh, vitamins. Is that as powerful as 15 minutes of sunlight or is it not going to be as beneficial? Yeah, it, it depends. It depends on too many things. It depends gotcha. on your skin color. So uh, unfortunately, with you have, uh, if you're interested in getting a lot of vitamin D, the darker your skin, that, that's melanin, that's blocking that ultraviolet radiation. And so you've got to stay out in the sun longer to get the same amount of... Uh, it's, of natural, uh, it's natural sunblock. That's correct. So you that need to correct. stay out longer than if you're more fair-skinned or lighter-skinned, then you know I need 10, 15 minutes. That's correct. And that, and that is the reason why it was sold. It was thought that uh, why are we seeing so many uh, people of skin color coming into the hospital with COVID-19 particularly. Really? And those are the ones with the lower vitamin D levels historically. 
is this what you're seeing in your hospital in California? What's, you know, absolutely, absolutely, limited, really, wow. So, yeah. okay, so, so, so this, to go back, go ahead, yeah. yeah. So, you, so you go through, you get vitamin D, but you're still not done yet because now the liver has to convert that into something called 25-hydroxy vitamin D. The liver takes mm. a little hydroxyl group, puts it onto the carbon, and now it's ready to be used. This is the form, by the way, that we measure when you go to the doctor and you get a blood test. Okay. We're going to measure the 25-hydroxy vitamin D. So all of these studies that we've talked about, uh, we're measuring 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels. But the studies that we were uh, describing, like, for instance, the SHADE study and the Brazilian study, these are given vitamin D. So they still have to go through the liver. They still have to get hydroxylated. And that can take uh, several days. So in this last study hmm. uh, that was done in Cordona, Spain, they jumped right ahead and they supplemented these patients. They gave them uh, pretty high doses of the 25-hydroxy vitamin D to start off with. And the results in that pilot study were pretty astounding. In the intervention group, they went from 50% of patients needing intensive care unit to just 2%. And that's a massive uh, reduction in terms of the need for intensive care. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. So, okay. So what did they do that when they came into uh, the hospital, they gave them this dosage right away? They gave, it, they gave them a high dose uh, of this medication called 25-hydroxyvitamin D, otherwise known as calcifidiol. That's the, the, the medical name for 25-hydroxyvitamin D. They gave it to them on day one, day three, and on day seven. And it reduced to 2% uh, uh, eliminating it? or what? what, what? Two, it, it went from 50% of the patients in the placebo group needing uh, ICU to 2% of the patients in the intervention group, in the calcifidiol group, needing intensive care. That's a dramatic reduction. So intensive care meaning being they on a ventilator, the, being, uh, you exactly. know, being taken care of the whole time. So, and the others, two, only 2% 2 being in there, and then what, their symptoms went away eventually after Yeah, nobody days. died in the intervention group. 7.7% uh, of those in the placebo group uh, died. So, uh, 
you know, th there was also some issues with randomization there, except in the opposite direction, that there seemed to be sicker people in the placebo group, so the randomization wasn't perfect. And uh, mm -hmm. but but they're planning on doing a much bigger uh, study, uh, so we'll we'll get some data probably here in the next few months. So this is a drug, or this is a supplement. This is a drug. So this you required a prescription for this, and it's not cheap. It's actually currently used by kidney doctors to uh, treat um, problems with the parathyroid gland, which is responsible for calcium in patients with kidney disease. So it's it's not readily available, uh, but uh, uh, it is available to if you need to use it in the hospital. And we've been doing it recently, just started recently. Um, and I, so I don't have a lot of data uh, on our patients that we're seeing, but uh, obviously some people are getting better, some people are not. What are you recommending to people in terms of uh, a daily prescription for natural remedies? Uh, you know, is it go out into the sun at 8 a.m. for 15 minutes? Is it take vitamin D supplements? Is it eat mushrooms? What, what are you suggesting to your patients? So for people who have not contacted COVID-19, we actually did a video on this on MedCram. It was uh, update 59. Uh, we recently just did uh, the top 10 tips for, for, you know, if you actually have po uh, positive COVID. And so what I'm recommending is based on, a lot of it's based on data in other viruses. Some of it's mm -hmm. based on data in COVID-19, but we can just go down the list. Number one, vitamin D. So let's talk about vitamin D. How much should you be taking? The you know, there's been some studies that show that if people who are at risk for vitamin D uh, deficiency, so people who are darker color, living at higher latitudes, specifically above the 35th parallel, which is around the, the southern border of Tennessee. Mm. If you're in California, it's kind of uh, just south of Santa Barbara, that area. Um, then taking uh, vitamin D supplementation is a good idea. So how much is too much? We actually... <laughs> probably overestimate the toxicity of vitamin D. It's, it's probably one of the safest fat-soluble vitamins. That being said, it's not completely risk-free, but the society, uh, endocrinology society says this. They say that what, what is the maximum dose that you can take without supervision from a physician and for someone who is at risk for vitamin D deficiency? The answer is 4,000 international units daily. 4,000 daily. Yeah. Okay. And 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 so what would I do if someone asked me? Uh, you know, I take five thousand international units daily just because I had my levels checked. Mm -hmm. I think the the right answer is if you can get your levels checked. Got it. And where would you want to be? It's measured in nanograms per milliliter. I would say based on the data that we've seen, the retrospective data in the United States, we see that there is an increase in SARS-CoV-2 positivity once you start going below fifty nanograms per milliliter. Mm, so okay. if you're if, if you're not above 50, you might want to bump it up at least over the winter season. And, and, and wouldn't you know it uh, <laughs> that what are we seeing? We're seeing a rebound in SARS-CoV-2 uh, in the winter season. So mm. this, you know, this is not, it's not rocket science. It's because we're not getting enough sunlight. The days are short. People don't have enough vitamin D. And this, so this is what, what the theory is. So that's okay. vitamin D. Number three, uh, so the other thing that, that I would talk about is uh, NAC. That's one of the things that we've been talking about. NAC is N-acetylcysteine. There is, uh, there's some pretty good data that shows that SARS-CoV-2, when it infects your cell, it knocks out the receptor called the ACE2 receptor. This ACE2 receptor is very important in regulating oxidative stress in your body. Uh, we could talk for an hour about oxidative stress and hydroxy radicals and, and things that, that are very high in people who get COVID-19. So diabetes, 
obesity, oxidative stress is very high. So you get this viral hit and it tips you over the edge. So one of the things that may be beneficial is consuming products that are antioxidants. So, mm -hmm. you know, berries, strawberries, raspberries, elderberries, blackberries, all of those are excellent things to do. But if you want to increase even more than taking 600 milligrams of NAC twice daily was shown in a previous study to reduce the symptoms of the flu uh, virus in a winter season when it was done prospectively. So in other words, they randomized people to placebo versus 600 milligrams of NAC twice daily. And they did not see a difference in the incidence of the flu in those people, but they did notice a significant reduction in the severity mm. of the illness that the people suffered when they were on NAC. So instead so of I don't being, have data. So instead of yeah. being on, you know, on your couch for a week, you're able to walk around and just feel less sluggish, exactly. right? Exactly. What, is NAC, NAC is over the counter? Yes. And how do you spell that? Uh, N, so that's N and then a dash, acetyl, A-C, uh, you're, you're asking somebody here to spell this. <laughs> but if you it's, go actually, the, it's actually marketed under NAC. If you just go and type in N-A-C, you'll uh, have N it. But it's, N -A it's, N -A -C, it's N-A-C, got it, okay, yeah, cool. NAC, N-acetylcysteine. Take twice daily. Twice daily, 600 milligrams. I wouldn't do it forever, but got maybe it. over a winter season for three or four months while, while we're in the pandemic. Uh, that's probably a wise choice. What else do you recommend? I think zinc is, is really important too. Uh, I would not take more than 40 milligrams of elemental zinc a day because as you increase your zinc intake, you can reduce your copper uh, in your body. And that's not a good thing. You want to have enough copper. So zinc and copper are kind of like on a seesaw. But if you want to maximize your zinc intake, 40 milligrams of elemental zinc. I say that because when you pick up a zinc supplement, it could be zinc picolinate, it could be zinc sulfate. All of those have a different molecular weight. And so the milligramage is gonna be different. But if the bottle is worth anything to, to put the, the pills in, it'll tell you how much elemental zinc is in there. 40 milligrams is, is the uh, maximum daily dose. Okay. And you're doing all these steps yourself too, right? Oh yeah. I, I'm smart because I basically <laughs> tell my wife what to do and every morning the pills are there. I don't even have to worry about remembering it because if I did, I would not do it. Yeah. It's, you got to like plan and put it out of, in front of time uh, and make exactly. sure you have it all set up to win. Um, okay. What's next? So this is where it gets uh, a little bit less in terms of evidence. So there is some evidence that zinc can help stop viral replication. The, the, the protein that the virus uses inside your cells to make more of those viruses is called replicase. And there is some evidence in vitro data, albeit, that zinc shuts that down. The problem is, is that when you take zinc, you need to get that zinc inside the cell. And one of the things that has been looked at and has, has, has had some promise in Ebola, for instance, and was being studied in, in this virus is uh, quercetin. Kirsten is a natural product. It's over-the-counter. It's uh, high in concentration in capers, in onions, in vegetables, uh, roots, basically. And so I don't see a lot of downside with taking kirsten. And so I, I do that as well. Okay. You'll add that in your daily practice. Yes. And then the last thing, I left, I left the last thing for, uh, for the end. And that's something that you probably like, well, what are you doing with this? And it's a, it's a long story that we can break into. But uh, contrast showers. Oh, yes. You're speaking my language. Yeah. You're speaking my So hot and cold or Correct. cold only. I do hot for five minutes. 
-hmm. and then I do cold for one minute, and then I do five for hot again, and then one for cold, and then finish it up with three for hot and one for cold. And and the one that that clued me onto that uh, formula was uh, a doctor, Neil Nedley, who is out of uh, Weimar, California, who, who's actually done a lot of uh, research and it actually has a, a clinic up there uh, called New Start that's, that's doing this sort of stuff and, and with amazing results. So what is so this isn't clinically tested yet, but you're you feel well, let like me, this. Let me tell you the story. Yeah, it's, tell it's me the story. A, it's a long story, but Be- uh, because because we've had a uh, you know Wim Hof on, who is a yes. proponent of this and, and the power of boosting immunity, and how yeah. he's done these kind of superhuman tests where they've injected him with uh, you know viruses, and he's been able to essentially say, no, go away from my body in the cold and through breathing and mindset. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear your story on this. So you don't need to, to be, well, <laughs> you don't need to be Hoff to do that. <laughs> you don't need to be, uh, you know, part of the polar bear club. Uh, not to say that there isn't some use for that. So I, I, I started to look into the research on this. And one of the areas that really held my fascination was the 1919 pandemic, mm. 1918 uh, flu pandemic and what happened. So, so one of the things that you've got to understand about COVID is the timing. Timing is everything. And really, there are two phases to this disease. And you can really draw the line uh, with COVID is when someone is at home versus when someone is at the hospital. COVID and what's going on with COVID at home is completely a different animal than what's going on in the hospital. And mm. I'll explain. Uh, and this has been borne out by research and studies. And, and I think this is, this is not controversial. This is pretty well understood is that when somebody is infected with SARS-CoV-2, it suppresses the innate immune system. Now, the innate immune system is part of your immune system that gives you a fever. It sends out these macrophages to to kill uh, things that don't look like uh, what it's supposed to look like, as opposed to the adaptive immune system, which is later on, that's antibodies, that's protein structures, that's T cells, B cells. So what the virus does is it, it, it has this strategy where it infects the person, it suppresses the immune system, it allows it to replicate and spread into multiple organs of your body. And then when the adaptive immune system comes on, it now has all of these cells that it has to attack. All of that inflammation, especially in the lung, can put you into pneumonia, mm-hmm. get you hospitalized and on, on a ventilator. And so the, 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 the strategy should be at the beginning of the virus, is to improve, is to substantiate, is to boost the innate immune system to get rid of the virus before it gets to that phase. But what we're noticing is when people get to the hospital and they have pneumonia, is the, the immune system is overramped. It's causing uh, inflammation too much. And that's why things like steroids work. That's why mm. things like anti-inflammatories work. And so what we're noticing is when we do randomized controlled trials on remdesivir, which is a, a, a antiviral, that's going to work early, best. When we look at steroids, we found that it only works great at the end. And so the timing is really the key. So when you understand that, you'll understand that one of the tools of the innate immune system is something called interferon. Interferon is a protein, and it does exactly as it sounds. It interferes mm. with viral infections. What SARS-CoV-2 does at the very beginning of this is it takes interferon and suppresses it. 
And it does it in a way because it, it, it uses its proteins in a way that it suppresses the body's ability to create interferon, to use interferon. We know that from, from very well-conducted uh, uh, studies that have shown that people who have innate problems with interferon always seem to have very bad courses with SARS-CoV-2. People okay. who have mutations with low interferon levels have very bad courses of SARS-CoV-2. So we want to strengthen interferon. Correct. So with that in mind, with that framework in mind, one of the things that I looked into is what did people do prior to, uh, you know, 1928? And why do I say 1928? It's because in 1928, we discovered penicillin. And penicillin and the use of penicillin Prior to penicillin, when you went to the hospital, things were very labor intensive. The mm. doctors, the nurses, they would be doing uh, hydrotherapy. They would be doing all of these treatments that were very, very labor intensive. After 1928 and the production of, of penicillin and, and antibiotics and, and drugs and the FDA and randomized controlled trials, now we were able to control disease by affecting the pathology, so the bacteria. And so a lot of that, what we learned, had, had gone away. So what was it back in prior to 1928? What was it that we did in, in these hospitals uh, when the flu pandemic arrived? Uh, and so I started to research that. And what I found was something that was really interesting and started to really attract my attention and start to look into it. If you go back, there was uh, a, there was a number of hospitals, especially in the northeastern part of the United States, which is where you know America basically was was centered at that time. That was there was this rebirth, if you if you will, uh, among the snake oil experts and and the people peddling uh, you know uh, morphine and arsenic for all of these things that could work. There was this understanding of this rebirth in the late 1800s about natural remedies and about mm -hmm. things you know in terms of of nature and fresh air, sunlight, these sorts of things. And these hospitals they were known as, as sanitariums. Well. There was uh, one particular fellow, actually a number of them. There was a Dr. Jackson in New York, but more uh, notably, uh, John Harvey Kellogg, who you may recognize that name as, as starting Kellogg's Corn Flakes and, and this health food industry back at that time. He was the, the director of the Battle Creek Sanitarium in Michigan, which was the world's largest hospital. And they saw very, very, uh, you know, elite patients, people like, uh, you know, J.C. Penney, people like Montgomery Ward, mm. people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Amelia wow. Earhart, they would all go to this hospital. For they the, were like the Cleveland this. Clinic of their time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and these weren't just like things that they were pulling out of a hat. These things worked, and that's why people went there, because it was the state of the art. So what did they do? They were using hydrothermal therapy. They were heating up the patient. I mean, if you can see pictures of this, it's, it's, it's a mm. hilarious crack up, because you'll look down the hospital hallway, and you'll see these rooms, these treatment rooms, with little holes. And out of these little holes were their heads. The patient's heads were popping out. And this room was used to heat up the body. It was a hot simulate box. A, it was a sauna. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what they were doing. And keeping their head cool. Now, mm -hmm. this, this, uh, this type of treatment spread and, and it, was, it was well understood. And I, I think the zenith of this, mm -hmm. interestingly, was a guy by the name of um, Wagner Joreg. He was an Austrian psychiatrist, and he had uh, his insane asylum there in Austria, and, and there was obviously a, a lot of people with uh, neurosyphilis. Neurosyphilis is a condition, obviously, where you have syphilis that goes to the brain. It's, it's, a, it's a type of bacteria. Uh, it's an organism. And this was before penicillin. So how do, we, we couldn't treat it. We could treat malaria, but we couldn't treat it. So 
So this guy, Yoreg, uh, Wagner Yoreg, noticed that when his neurosyphilis patients had fevers, they actually responded and they, they got better. Their symptoms abated. Mm. And so he had this idea, what would happen if I purposefully infected them with malaria? <laughs> right. Because malaria gives you really high fevers. And so he did it. And wouldn't you know it, he cured them of their neurosyphilis. No and then way. he treated them. Yeah. And then he treated them with uh, he treated them with the known treatment at the time for malaria, cured the malaria. So he was able to basically cure neurosyphilis by inducing a fever. And for this, <laughs> he he actually won the Nobel Prize in Medicine, ironically, in 1927, the year before penicillin was discovered. So if you look at the 30,000 foot level about where we've come in the United States, and in fact, the world in the last 100 years, we were going down a path of enhancing the body's own way of dealing with the virus mm -hmm. or whatever bacteria, whatever it was. You know, the immune system is so incredibly complex. We didn't understand it at the time, but we understand it now. And it has so many ways, so many angles of attacking pathogens. Mm -hmm that if we are able to just turn on that machine, that machine is going to be, I mean, let's look at it. People who get infected with coronavirus today, more than 80% of them recover on their own because of the immune system. It's only a, a small amount of people that cannot, cannot deal with the infection and, and they end up in the hospital. But of course, we have so many people being infected that it's overwhelming our system. So what happened in 1928 was the discovery of penicillin, the discovery of all these medications, randomized controlled trials, the, FET, the, the, the FDA, that what we've done is we've, since that time, we've gone down a road where we, we take a chronic disease, we, we study it, we know, and we, we do the randomized trials, which is what we should do, and we come up with treatments that treat that. And that works really well until you have a pandemic. <laughs> and now you have a, a, a brand new disease that comes on, on, on the scene, it is overwhelming everybody. We don't, there's no way we can do the randomized controlled trials fast enough. And so what I became interested in is, is there something that we can do that isn't a pill, that, it, that doesn't need to be prescribed, that doesn't need to have a factory to make, that we can do to already enhance a system that we are already given when we're born to help deal with the disease that's already kind of dealing with it anyway, but if we could just go from 80% to 85, 80 to 90%, that would take care of it. That would have a tremendous impact on, on taking off the stress from our, our healthcare system. So that's what I intended to do. So I looked at what were these guys doing at the time of the pandemic? Because here these people are, they know what to do with these diseases. This is the treatments that they're using. What did they do during the pandemic to treat this? And wouldn't you know it, I found the resource, and it was amazing. And, and uh, I'll stop there to see if there's any questions before I go on, because the next part was just mind-blowing. Yeah, what's the, re what's the resource, or what's the research okay. on this? Okay, so there was this guy by the name of Dr. Rubel. Dr. Rubel was the medical director of the, of the sanitarium in Boston. It was the New England Sanitarium, and he said, this is what he said. He said, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing. He he wrote this article in a. It wasn't even a scientific journal. It was a. Uh, it was a church periodical. Mm. Um, these were all. These were all Seventh Day Adventist institutions in the northeastern part of the United States that were doing hydrotherapy. Same thing with the Battle Creek Sanitarium. And what he wrote in there is like, the pandemic has offered us this opportunity to really put to the test these kind of treatments that we're doing. Let's see if it works. So this is what he did. He coupled, he, he got all of the information from about 10 sanitariums 
in the Northeast of the United States, and he pooled the data. And then he went to the army camps, because in the army camps, they had the best, they had the brightest doctors, they had all of the resources. As you remember, remember from uh, 1918, these people from Europe, these soldiers were coming back to the United States. The war had just ended, and they were bringing back, unfortunately, with them the, the flu. Mm-hmm. And so as they came back, they made these camps in the United States and they were treating these people. So about 20% of the people in the camps came down with the flu. And when they came down with the flu, again, two components to the disease. The first part was the virus, the, the viral replication phase, and then pneumonia. And if they got pneumonia, there's no antibiotics. It was, about, it was, a, it was almost like a death sentence because it was about 40 to 50% mortality rate. Okay. Wow. So the key was, is you don't want them to get to the pneumonia stage. You want to get this before it gets to the pneumonia stage. And the, the, thinking, the, the thinking in the army camps at the time was, what's killing these people? It must be the fever. It must be the symptoms of the flu. And so aspirin had just come out in 1899, Bayer aspirin. Ironically, it was a German company that came up with aspirin. And so they were giving aspirin to all of these people in the camps. I mean, because aspirin would take away the fever. Aspirin, ironically, the fever is the sign that the innate immune system is doing something, right? You get interferon, fever goes up. And so the very thing that was trying to help these patients, they were getting rid of. They were, they were suppressing was, it, which was causing exactly. them to be more sick. Exactly. And so uh, at the end of the day, it was about 10, 15% of these patients were coming down with pneumonia, okay? Because they were giving aspirin and all of these sorts of things. Compare that now to what was going on in the sanitariums. So in the sanitariums, they were not doing this. What they were doing, what was the treatment? What was the rational treatment in the words of Dr. Rubel that they were doing? So as soon as they came down with symptoms, they would isolate them, they would put them in bed, they would have them rest. Uh, They would also expose them several times a day to sunlight, sunshine, fresh air. Ventilation was very important. And then they would do something called fomentations. And that's the old term for hydrotherapy. Essentially what they would do, practically speaking, is they would get a pot of boiling water. They would put these towels into the pot of boiling water, take it out, wring it out, and they would place it on the bed. The patient would lie on this with a, a sheet in between so they wouldn't be burned. And then they would place fomentations on top of them, basically creating, if you will, a a hot box. And they would do this for about 20 minutes. When they were done, they would then put cold water on them and rub it. And so basically to cause vasoconstriction, we now understand, Mm -hmm. and lock that heat in. So only about 2 to 3% of those patients came down with pneumonia. So at the end of the day, the overall case infectivity of mortality rate was like 6% 6% for the uh, army camps and 1% for uh, these, these hospitals, uh, these sanitariums. So then I looked at that. I, huh. I said, that, that is remarkable. Yeah. That here we have, it's not a randomized controlled trial, different populations, different things, but it at least tells me that this has been tried before. I mean, a Nobel Prize has been given on the basis of, of this type of treatment. And, and here's something that you don't need a prescription for. You don't need a test. If you feel bad, you can start this right away. And, and so as one of my recommendations, going back mm. to the original question, doing contrast showers is a nice way of, of doing this as a tonic to help prevent and keep your uh, immune system on kind of a sentinel mode looking around. But if you actually come down with it, if I've, if I've gotten where I think I might be coming down with something, 
I will I will do the hot fomentations and you'll just be sweating there. But after you're done, it's it's you you feel amazing. Really? So if you yeah. feel like okay, I'm getting a cold, I'm getting a flu, I'm getting a virus, whatever, something. What would you do from that moment as you started to feel that? You go right into hot cold showers. Is it the So the first thing I would do is I would alert my wife. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's hard to do it on yourself. Yeah. And and what she'll do is she'll get a, a a large foot bath and she'll put the hottest water you can tolerate in there and put that on the ground. I'll I'll feet. lay down. Yep. And I'll put my feet in there. Um, and that, that helps anything that any part of your body that you can do to try to heat it up, heat up your core body temperature is important. Okay. So, so basically we'll, we'll put down a hot towel. I'll lay on that, keep my feet in there. Anything that, that will increase your core body temperature, mm-hmm. cover me up with a, a, a blanket. So I'll be basically in a, in my own hot box. I'll have a, a cold towel on my head, cold towel across my carotid arteries here so that my head remains cool and it doesn't know that my body is being heated, but huh. I'm being heated up. And, uh, and then that's for about 20 minutes. And then that comes off. I get cold water on the feet, cold water on, on my chest. Uh, and then uh, for just a brief moment for about 30 seconds, and then I go lay down. And uh, you can do that once, twice a day. And what that will do, and, and, and there's, this is not hocus pocus. They've actually, <laughs> they have actually done the studies where they, they will take monocytes, which are responsible for secreting interferon, take monocytes out of, they've done the study where they take them out of people at different temperatures, and then they expose them to uh, you know, bacterial challenge or some, some sort of uh, foreign challenge. And right when you get to about 39 degrees, the interferon response goes up tenfold. I mean, it starts to go up, starts to go up, and then right about 39 degrees centigrade, which is, uh, you know, maybe 102 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, you get a tenfold increase in interferon response, which is exactly the same substance that we are lacking early on in the course of this disease, COVID-19. Is this something that someone could prevent on a weekly basis where they do hot, cold as well? Or is this just something you do in the shower? It's like, okay, let me do hot, cold for five minutes and, and help me I, there. So I, I do my showers hot, cold, but um, that's another point that you bring up because there is a whole society on this planet <laughs> that does literally this pretty much twice a week, five times a week. And you, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And they don't get yeah. sick or they, they, they say that, you know, I talked to Wim Hof and he's like, I don't remember the last time I got sick. And yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, there's uh, the Finns. Mm-hmm. There are so many saunas in Finland that if you were to ask every Finnish person to go into a sauna at the same time, there would be enough saunas to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then they jump in the cold. They jump exactly. in the cold and, water. Yeah. And so if you look at the, the COVID data in Finland, uh, they they outperform just about any other Nordic country hmm. next to them in terms of mortality rate. In terms of, I mean, not not to say that the Swedes don't do saunas and the and the Norwegians don't do saunas. They just don't do it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and the the data is actually a little bit uh, uh, overestimating because a, a number of people, the, a lot of people who were in Helsinki that came down with COVID were actually uh, people, immigrants from Africa that had come down. There was a huge problem early on. Interesting. And, and that goes back to the vitamin D issue. So here we have people huh. with dark skin coming from you know Africa who are used to getting the sunlight that they need to stay healthy. And now you're putting them literally at the other extreme of the planet where uh, you know through the winter, the sun may not even come up. And, uh, and they are at extreme uh, risk of getting a vitamin D and, and huge problems in terms of COVID-19. 
So is, is steam room and saunas uh, also beneficial on hot tubs or you think, you think just hot, cold showers? I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think all of those things are acceptable. If you look culturally, and I've talked to people from Iran, I've talked to people from Asia, I've talked to people from Africa, in every one of their stories, there's always a grandma that knows when someone gets sick to heat them up. I mean, whether it's using the sand in, in Iran or mm. using the hot pools, they all seem to have this understanding in their, in their DNA, for lack of a better term. It seems as though we knew this as a society <laughs> for many years, but because of, of technological advances and, and just labor and, and ease of treatment, we've kind of forgotten it. Right. Or just say, we'll take this pill and that'll make you feel better. But heating someone up when they start to feel some type of sick uh, for 15, 20 minutes, making the cool, uh, the head or the neck cool, heating it up, and then putting cold afterwards and then resting sounds like uh, a simple remedy that we could all do naturally. Yeah. And, and if people are interested in this, uh, a website that I found that's really helpful is uh, a simple one. It's just hydrotherapyathome.com hydrotherapyathome.com. They have a number of resources that I found that are very helpful, videos to show how to do it. Uh, you know, there's another uh, website that I found called uh, hydroforcovid.com. That's a, mm. a number four there, hydro, the number four, covid.com, where they actually go through the, the, the techniques. And what a lot of these websites have done that have been doing this, because there's been this sort of background movement all this time for the last 100 years that never fully got rid of hydrotherapy, especially in the physical therapy literature. They mm -hmm. use it extensively for people's muscle aches, for people's, uh, you know, when people are recovering from uh, certain diseases. Physical or physiotherapists love to use hydrotherapy because it's been shown to work. It probably works for more than just that. What they, what they did there on those websites is they tried to go back to you know, what Har John Harvey Kellogg used in their protocols. Y you can actually get the book that John Harvey Kellogg wrote. It's about 1,000 pages. Wow. And, and, and the name of the book is Rational Hydrotherapy. It's available on Google Books. If uh, someone scanned it in, some poor, poor soul <laughs> scanned every 1,000 page in there. And you can read it. And he, he, these guys were, um, I mean, they were giants back then. That, that, uh, they were just amazing. Wow. I'm curious, you're you're exposed to COVID every day, right? I mean, you're exposed to people with COVID every day, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Have you have you got COVID yourself? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, I never, if I had symptoms of a virus, it, it was, it lasted about a day and then went away. So I figured that couldn't have been, couldn't have been COVID. But, but at the same time, one of the things is when I go into the hospital, I've got PPE, there's negative pressure rooms. It's, it's probably, if somebody gets COVID at the hospital, almost always it's because of something they did outside the hospital. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, is there a way, do you believe that with all these uh, disciplines that we could do, with all the steps, with all the strategies, you know, all this stuff, is there a way to prevent it from, and actually, if COVID entered our body, that we could reject it and disintegrated it or just it would not affect us is that possible it's 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 possible if we had the kind of i mean it happens every day people get COVID every day and and, and their immune system kicks it out the kills problem it. yeah Destroys the problem it. is is that we have comorbidities and so if you were to look at it there i mean there's there's different populations that have different abilities we can we can predict it's not a mystery we can predict 
plugging in your information, your age, your comorbidities, your weights, your BMI, all of these things, we can kind of predict what your chances are of getting it. And then if you do get it, what your chances are of, of dying. We, What's comorbidities? That What's that mean? Comorbidities, other diseases, okay. diabetes, Got hypertension. It. If you have other diseases, then yeah. the immune system probably won't be able to defend it as well. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why we take a multi-pronged approach. And so mm -hmm. one of the biggest, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest barriers to getting what we need to get done is just perceptions and and politics and all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So so if you look at if you if you come to MedCram, which is where, you know where we do a lot of the stuff, you'll never be able to figure out. You know, Kyle and I are 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 sort of the co-founders of MedCram. You, you wouldn't be able to figure out if if I was a Democrat and he was a Republican or vice versa. I mean. That's the, one of the things that bothers me about this is that mm. we're talking about people's lives and people's lives, you know, in my opinion, are rank at the top. Politics is something is like a hobby that you might want to do. But to, to see what we've done, whereas we've actually used this pandemic to promote our, our politics is 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 just so. And so, I you know, I talk about masks. And say, oh, you talked about masks. You must be a, a Democrat. <laughs> right. but, but then I talk about, you know, natural remedies too. Oh, well, then you must be one of these right. uh, anti-vaxxers. No, I, I mean, even a dead clock is right twice a day, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's true. You just go for the truth and, and and speak what the data speaks, and let the rest take care of itself. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and make sure to share it. We have another part from this powerful interview with Dr. Roger Schweld coming very soon. So stay tuned to that. And if this is your first time here, make sure to click that subscribe button over on Apple Podcast right now so you can stay up to date for the next episode, get our entire back catalog of powerful interviews from the world's greatest minds, and stay up to date from the latest and greatest from the School of Greatness. And if you want inspirational messages from me every single week sent to your phone, then text the word podcast to 614-350-3960 to get motivational and inspirational messages direct to your phone from me. And I want to leave you with this quote from poet Lee Hunt, who said, the groundwork for all happiness is good health. We have so much going on right now where we are living in uncertainty and a lot of fear at times. And I want to remind you that when you take care of your health first, you can have the confidence throughout your day to know at least you're doing everything you can to protect your mind and your body. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately, that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.